our ability to succeed in business is directly tied to how well we can take in lots of ideas and influences and then filter them down to then to like simple actionable plans. And, you know, when we've got lots of advice, that's fine. But if we get analysis paralysis, we listen to too many people, we tend to find we can't convert that into action. The more systems you have around your onboarding, how you resource your team for success on a, a daily, weekly, monthly plan is all around systems. The faster you can create them, the easier it will be for everyone. My name is Samantha Riley and this is the podcast for experts who want to be the unapologetic leader in their industry. We're going to share the latest business growth, marketing and leadership strategies, as well as discussing how you can use your human design to create success in business and life inside and out. It's time to take your influence, income and impact to the level you know you're capable of. Are you ready to make a bigger difference and scale up? This is the Influence by Design podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm your co-host for today, Samantha Riley, and joined, as always, with the fabulous Tim Hyde. How are you, Tim? Good. I'm doing great, Sam. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to today's topic because we're going to talk about the five business building mistakes that we've made and what we've learned from them. And I think that there is nothing better to learn from than a mistake because they're painful and they hurt and you remember them. What's, what's, that, what's that rule? Fail forward? I, I find it hard to believe that you've made any mistakes in business, Sam. You're hilarious, Tim Hyde, <laughs> because you are the person that's on the other end of the phone quite often when I go, ah, <laughs> as <Yes>. am I. <laughs> Never happens, honest. And I, my fingers are not crossed right now. <laughs> but it's this idea of kind of failing forward. And, if you, and when one thing that I've always tried to hold dear in my life is if, I, if I'm going to lose the battle, that I don't lose the lesson from it. And, you know, we think that, you know, through, I guess throughout our business careers, we've made plenty of mistakes. We've made what in the fullness of time have turned out to be the wrong decisions, mm-hmm. hired the wrong people, hired, you know, brought on the wrong clients all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we've tried to, I guess, in this episode, distill it down to just five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Trust me. It took us a while to actually put the notes together for this because it could have easily been 55. Right, absolutely. Well, what's that rule? Uh, Vincent Churchill said um, once, if you want to speak me for a day, give, if you want me to speak all day, give me five minutes. Mm-hmm. But if you want me to speak for five minutes, give me all day. Mm, so wise. Right? But So it is actually very difficult to sort of still down, to still down to this, you know, a couple of things, but we've picked five we think are probably relevant to you, dear listener, that might give you some insight. Yeah, and I think what I really like about this is, or let me put this in a different context. My husband, Leon, is in our part of our business and he has his own business also, but he's got a 30-year corporate career. So when he first came into the business, he'd never had any experience working in a small business. He'd always been in a large corporate, looking after really, really large teams. He was in operations, he did amazing things, but being in business for yourself, is you have a whole heap of different kind of lessons. And one of the things, or this is the thing he found hardest at the beginning, was when things did go wrong like this and they would land in your lap rather than in the lap of a team of 200 people, 
And he actually, he found it really difficult to move forward sometimes. He would get, you know, really overwhelmed. So I think that this is really a great conversation to have to understand that things do go wrong every single day. And it is more about learning from the lesson. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at the first one. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think one of the biggest business building mistakes that we can make is is listening to too many people, right? Because there are a lot of voices and a lot of opinions about what you should be doing with mm-hmm. your particular skill set and where you are with your team and your skills and everything else as well. But listening to too many people is definitely a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we're not saying here don't listen to anyone. It's just that if you've asked 12 or 15 people for advice, their advice is going to be conflicting because everyone has their own opinion. When there's a lot of information coming in, it can be very difficult to distill it down. Which way do you go? And I see this often leaving people in like a, a tailspin, very overwhelmed. They don't know where to focus. They are unable to make decisions. And this has certainly happened to me before where, you know, you start implementing what one person says and then you listen to the other person and you pivot really quickly. I find myself doing this all the time. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea too, though. And <laughs> We end up with lots of half-built bridges. Exactly. So, yes, you need to ask for advice, but you need to have your own, I guess, framework for want of a better word, so that you can make a decision quickly and do what feels right. So we want to listen to all of the advice, but then how are you going to distill that to make it work for you? Yeah, look, I I truly believe that our ability to succeed in business is directly tied to how well we can take in lots of ideas and influences and then filter them down to to like simple actionable plans. Love it. And, you know, when we've got lots of advice, that's fine. But if we get analysis paralysis, we listen to too many people, we tend to find we can't convert that into action. Yeah. We just become seminar and coaching junkies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that we've all had leads or prospects or clients that have been like that. It's very, very, very difficult to work with them. So this is not just a problem that we have as business owners, but it can also be a problem that your clients or your prospects might have. So yeah, you need to be able to be able to take those ideas, as Tim just said, and turn them into something that's actionable, not be in this constant cycle of overwhelm. Yeah. Number two. Number two, one that's near and dear to my heart, not niching soon enough. Well, we, to be fair, though, Sam, if you go back to your early start and you niched into a dance studio in the Northern Beaches, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a niche of sorts. Okay, so this is the very weird part of this story. Most people do or make this mistake first. I made this mistake right in the middle. <laughs> so I actually <laughs> did niche my first few businesses really well. My first four businesses. I niched really well. Then the next one, number five, was the one that I didn't niche. So you'd think that most people make this decision at the beginning. No, I did it because I was afraid of getting bored. I wanted to speak to more people. 
and hmm, let me tell you, didn't go down well. It's really hard to market when you don't have a tight niche. People will not notice your message. It's just about impossible to do paid advertising when you don't have a niche. You have increased competition. It's a lot harder to grow and scale because of that. You end up being a commodity. People choose you on price versus value. We'll talk about that one. Exactly. But all of this was a problem by not niching soon enough. I think when we spin it around, and I know people are really afraid of niching because they think, well, what if all these other opportunities come up that I, you know, I could take that would generate me income? And particularly, obviously, when we start, if we haven't got a a big pipeline of opportunity or, or some reserves available to us. We think by niching, we're sort of saying, you know, I'm not going to be open to opportunity. We still are. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to say. If someone comes along that you really want to work with, go and work with them. Exactly. Even if they're not in your, you know, your niche. But you're absolutely right. It's, you know, the ability to kind of focus down and find the people who, you know, resonate with you is, is much better. And I think changing the, the narrative almost not looking at it from your perspective, but looking at it from your customer's perspective is a really interesting way to see how they make a decision about they, who they choose. Yeah. So for example, right, you're a business coach. And if I said to you, Sam, and, and put whatever hat you want on, whether you're a you know a leadership coach or a you know an XYZ or whatever thought leadership space that you're in. Sales coach. Yep. Sales coach. And your customer is now looking at you and saying, Hey, I'm a business coach. Great. Next person they're comparing them to says, hey, I'm a business coach too, and I help businesses grow their business. Next one comes along and says, I'm also a business coach, and I help people grow their business. <laughs> Surprise there. All right? mm. Number four comes along and says, I'm a business coach, and I help people grow their business. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been doing it for 10 years. Oh, that's fantastic. But the last one comes along and says, I'm a business coach, and I work with experienced business coaches who have a team of people, right? really take it from seven figures to eight figures. Mm. All right. And all of a sudden you're going, I don't know, you've got a team and you're, you know, looking at that next step for you. And it's like, this one really resonates with me. Yeah, that's the one. So if you put it in your customer's narrative and through that lens and suddenly it's like, well, I know which one I would choose if it was, mm-hmm. if it was me. Yeah. It's much easier to grow when you're speaking to a specific audience. So get really clear on that niche, find that specific audience and speak directly with them and have conversations with them that are targeted around the exact problems that they're having right now and the desires that they have right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Number three, I think we both agreed on this one to an extent, more so me, <laughs> is not onboarding or resourcing my team for success. Now you say more so you, but maybe that's only just been in the last little while because I've been running teams for over 30 years now and I definitely have had this problem multiple times over. Apparently, I'm a slow learner. (laughs) Apparently. One of the biggest symptoms of this is micromanaging your team and this is what I believe or this is why I believe so many people say, I don't want a team because what they do is say, I don't want a team and they think because I don't want to micromanage them. But if you could have a team that was totally autonomous and take time off your hands or take tasks off your hands, so you didn't even know it was happening, would you want that? 
Yeah, of course you would. Mm-hmm. Of course you would. I think there's a, there's an, there's another thing here that if we don't resource our team for success, that you can potentially over-resource and it does create inefficiency as well. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of being able to give everything to someone else but then not tell them what success looks like, you know, ultimately comes back on you because you sit there going, well, what are you doing today? You know, Why haven't you done it the way I would do it? Why haven't you achieved the outcome that I was expecting? And it's largely not their fault. It's largely yours because you haven't shown them what success looks like and then kept them accountable to deliver that. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. So there is only one thing I can say to this is you need to create systems, systems, and more systems. The more systems you have around your onboarding, how you resource your team for success on a, a daily, weekly, monthly plan, is all around systems. The faster you can create them, the easier it will be for everyone. Absolutely. I can't agree with that more. Number four, I think, is probably undervaluing myself. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time, I probably didn't value myself enough or didn't mm-hmm. really understand the market I was playing with. And I th- and if I, I go back to one of my first, I won't go back to one of my first businesses, but one of my first businesses and as a, like a, a real adult. Mm-hmm. I still remember we were selling advertising on our social media platform. And I think the first package we put together had a minimum sticker price of a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the people I knew, right. They're all sort of little micro businesses and startups and like this. And we said, Oh, a hundred dollars, people would afford a hundred dollars, but not realizing that the market that I was trying to reach, we're used to spending 50,000. Yeah, And so putting a hundred bucks next to a $50,000 offer, they go, well, one of these is clearly effective because I've always paid 50 grand and the other one, yep. that sounds so cheap. It can't be any good. Yeah. I, I don't want to waste a hundred dollars on nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's almost taking me more time to like write you an invoice for a hundred bucks than the hundred dollars is going to get me in return. Yeah, and that no, was probably one of the biggest mistakes that I made early on. I, I still see that to this day. In fact, I was just on a networking event this week where people were, talking about their $100 program and their $150 program and their $300 program, right? And unless you sell, which is okay, but unless you sell a lot of those, you're really going to find it very difficult to grow and scale. You'll just be caught up in the weeds of your business all the time. 100%. You said something really, really clever before we started recording, and that was because I'm little or because I've got a small business, I have this thought that I can only deal with other little companies or very small businesses. And I really loved that thinking because I know someone that started their business at the end of last year. And the first thing they did was signed a client for $500,000. One client. That's amazing. Yeah. First client. He said, he actually said to me, Oh, I didn't go out to start a business. It kind of happened by mistake, but he said, Oh, I guess I'm in business now. Now, just imagine if you could sign a $500,000 client tomorrow, what would that do for your business? What would that do in your change in your life? It'd be, you know, it should be transformative. If it's not transformative, maybe you need to rethink and put another zero on the end. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, just think, think about the value that you have to offer. Don't look through the lens of how small is my company because, yeah, the value is what you provide, not the size of your company. Yeah, a good friend of mine, Kathy Smith, who runs an agency in Western Australia, said to me some time ago, 
and shout out to Kathy for this bit of advice. I don't know where she got it from. Was that uh, companies are doing less than say half a million, right? mm-hmm. and obviously depending on what industry sector you're in, you, you're going to find your mileage varies a little bit. But for when you present an offer to someone who's doing less than half a million dollars, it's their money you're spending, mm-hmm. right? As in, it comes out of their pocket, off food off the table, school fees, bills, whatever, right? Because for a lot of companies doing less than half a million, and particularly if there's staff or product involved. It is actually that, right? You're compromising the owner's wages either go to you or to the owner. Mm-hmm. But over half a million, the owner starts to take a regular wage out and the money that the business is now spending is the business's money, mm-hmm. not the owner's money. Yeah. A subtle little shift. And I actually, reflecting back now, and I go, was I approaching the decision-making on behalf of my customer based on the fact that I wasn't making half a million dollars? <laughs> and would I make, would I spend this amount of money on that thing? And if the answer was no, well, why on earth would my customer do it? Yeah, good point. So it sounds like that was a big flip in your thinking to be able to, to let's say, value yourself and to start to approach a different type of client or a different size of client. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. And I think lastly, I mean, just lastly on this one, without sort of harping on it too much. I think thinking that bigger companies have their shit together. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Some of the, the companies that we speak with, and I know that I say we, you and I, because we talk about these things, and you're like, how did they not know that or why are they not implementing that one tiny thing that we implemented before we were at, you know, 5K a month kind of thing? <laughs> and they're million-dollar companies, multi-million-dollar yep. companies. So don't undervalue what you think everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest surprises for me that one of my client who, clients who, you know, is well into the nine-figure mm-hmm. salary range you know, didn't have some automation in place to manage customer relationships. I'm mm. like, how do you not have this? You're at, mm. you're at nine figures. But imagine by ticking that box, how much of a difference you could make. Like that exponentially changes that revenue That's right. hugely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely so. All right, number five. Number five, trying to please everyone. This is such such a horrible place to be, such a disempowering place to be, isn't it? But I think it, I mean, it sort of overlaps with some of the other mistakes that we made as well, but it is that trying, like, if I just say yes to everybody and do whatever they want me to, that I'm suddenly going to grow my business because I've got more people that are happy with me. Mm. But there's this really weird thing, and, and a mutual friend of ours, Stevie Brosman, has said this before. It's like, if I don't tell people anything, they just stand around. Mm-hmm. If I tell them what I stand for, people will walk towards me. If I tell them what I stand against, mm-hmm. they will run towards me mm. or away. Yeah, and that's what I was just about to say. You'll have both. However, you'll have more people running towards you than in any of those other scenarios, even though there will be other people running away. Yeah, and that's that's a good thing. We want that in business. And so, you know, saying no is not a bad thing. And no. Just to sort of continue on the quote fest that we're sharing in today's episode, there's one from Warren Buffett that I, that I particularly love. It says, you know, successful people say yes to a lot of things. You know, they go, oh, it's no surprises there. They take opportunities when they come up. But here's the rub. Really successful people 
say no to even more. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. So by saying no to stuff that isn't really a great fit, what you'll find is yes, you're maybe giving up opportunity, but you're creating space and energy for the stuff where you can have a massive impact. Absolutely. Just remember that when you're trying to please everyone, you're diluting your brand. And not only that, because you're not, you know, true to yourself all the time, although I know that everyone at some point in their business career has gone onto seek.com and thought, let me just have a look for a job. <laughs> Wouldn't it be easier? It's like that, you know, that, that friend of yours who's still in corporate that says, you should come back, you know, <laughs> like, oh, I could, would I but go no brain thanks. dead? <laughs> would, I, would I enjoy it? That is the thing, right? I think the thing, our whole thing about business is we have the opportunity to choose and we have the, you know, we can do what we want. But if it's not fun and you're not enjoying it, why would you keep doing it? Absolutely. So think, hopefully that, you know, our conversation today has helped you to think of some of the mistakes that you've made and understand that we get the biggest lessons from these things that, don't go right or don't feel right and really to take those lessons and use them to change what you're doing or to change something about your business. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing, Tim. It's been great. great. It was great to unpack this episode. I don't mind doing this. And I know, you know there'll be people out there that you see, and again, from advice, who every, they look like from the surface, everything's going well. Mm-hmm. can absolutely tell you with 100% certainty that it's not all roses behind the scenes. And I, don't mind, I, I, like, I like sharing that. Not for anyone. Yeah, yeah. And I always, I like it that we both put our hands up and, and say, hey, look, it's not always perfect. It's not always a bed of roses. It is lots of times though. <laughs> there was a few thorns amongst the roses. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode. We'll catch you next week for another episode of Influence by Design. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to influencebydesignpodcast.com for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other experts who are growing and scaling their business too, join us in the Coaches, Thought Leaders and Changemakers community on Facebook. The links are waiting for you over at influencebydesignpodcast.com. Thank you.